Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of This Is My Bourbon Podcast. I'm your host, Perry. With me, back in person for the first time in two weeks, it's Eric the Whiskey Mutant Smith. There is no wrong time to rock, baby. Hey, amen. Amen to is that. Is that right? Is that right? That's, it feels right. It's right to me. I'm feeling right. All and if right. I'm wrong, I don't... Wait. Do you want to be right? Wait. Sometimes. I don't know. I don't either. Hi, everybody. Hi, Eric. What's up? Hey, happy to, to be see back your... in person. Oh, yeah. I can't even talk. I'm looking I'm, at you in the I'm, face. I'm oh. sorry. I'm in my little spot over here, and we're across the table from each other. This has been, like... so, like, this has been my, like, sanctum sanctorum <laughs> for the past two weeks, because, like, I haven't been able to see anybody, I haven't been able to go anywhere, but, like, when I sit here, I can talk to people. And I can like communicate again. I don't feel like I'm cut off from the rest of the world. And it's just like my happy little place. And now I can go like flagpoles again. Yeah. I mean, that's what you were doing before. Definitely. I mean, that's definitely not how I got COVID. No, that was the uh, side rails. (laughs) (laughs) There he has a... Excuse me, sir. Could you run your skateboard over the side rail so that I can then have a good lick? Mm, waxy mm, a good lick <laughs> well if you are new to the show and you have not yet done so please subscribe in your podcast app of choice you can follow the show at my bourbon pod on instagram facebook and twitter you can follow eric at whiskey mutant you can leave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast app of choice thank you to everybody who has been leaving us five-star ratings in the spotify app which is new of course and then you can also become a supporter of the show at patreon.com slash my bourbon podcast for as little as a dollar a month. For as little as $5 a month, you get bonus content, including the new Patreon series, which is going to run for the next few weeks uh, before we come back to uh, pours from the floor. floor. Sorry. <laughs> We've got too many things that we do. Uh, the new series is called Sampley Irresistible. Uh, and it's goofy and a lot of fun. Uh, but I go through a bunch of samples that I've had for a long time. But we normally start out this show with either Flying Blind or Sips and Snacks. I got something. What do you got this week? Sips and Snacks. Oh, boy. From a friend of the show. Oh, okay. Who? Is he going to give it Brazo. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, he sent me a package. What? He sent me his package. <laughs> what? No, wait. Oh, no. So, Already for the snack the portion, he sent this. I've never had this, but it looks interesting. <laughs> Applets and cotlets. Delightfully soft apple and apricot confections with walnuts and all natural flavors. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a Turkish delight. So, I was like, I'm going to bring that over. We're going to do it. And then he sent a bottle. To pair with this? Is it I- Woodenville? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if he actually meant this to pair or if he was just like, hey, this is a weird snack. I'm going to send it to Eric. But when you send me a bottle and you send me a snack, what are we going to do? It's going to get paired. It's going to get paired. And we're going to judge your pairing. So, Joseph Brazo, you're getting judged today. <laughs> this is... This is not a judgment-free zone. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is a Woodenville 100 proof. And it's... Can you read this? Because I don't know how to read that. I know how to read, but I don't know how to pronounce it. It oh, just sound bad. Moscatel finished. It's a type of type of wine. Okay. 
Um, I mean, I was like, this is awesome, a big bottle for me, but I, I was like, I didn't know how to pronounce everything. <laughs> okay, on I, can't, I can't read everything on this. Yeah, me either. Uh, but it's finished in 10-year-old Moscatel. Uh, <laughs> um, maybe maybe, need to maybe read barrels, maybe casks, I don't know. Just go ahead and open it up there. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. We're going to sip some snacks. Heck yeah, we are. Maybe. It's brand new. I should have opened it before in preparation. But you know what? We just do stuff on the fly. And while Perry's opening that, did you, Perry, did you hear about Liquor Barn's new thing? No. What about it? The uh, the new pick thing they were going to do? No. Make your own picks. You can like do like a, take a Knob Creek pick and pour it in a bottle with like wild turkey. Did you hear about this? No. Of course, because it's a bad idea. <laughs> McDonald's. Hack the menu? No, bad idea. It's not fun to just take chicken nuggets and put it on a burger. We're gonna be talking Get the about out of here. We're gonna be talking about this for a long time. I feel like. Yeah, Taco Bell too. Does Taco Bell have a hack menu? Oh no, you're just still. Probably. I mean, I, they could because I could just order a chicken uh, taco and a beef taco, put them together. Bam! Eric hacked the menu. Or. Horrible or, idea. Or you can say that you want a bunch of tacos, and the yeah. guy will give you crap yeah. for And then I'll say, you know what, man? Bell. I was trying to make an art project for my kids. We're going to play Hack the Menu with Taco Bell. <laughs> Hack the Menu. <laughs> and then he'd say, bro, Taco Bell? And then I'd drive off and be mad. No, I'm just saying that all is the same. Flip them, flip them off. And McDonald's Hack the Menu is the lamest thing I've ever heard. It's still really dumb. We talked about it, was it two weeks ago? Yeah, a couple and, weeks ago. Yeah, um, it just gets stupider the more I yeah, the more you think, think about, about it. it. The longer I hear that it's even a thing. But, I don't know, whatever. What's that, what's that smell like? Wow, as I open this snack. Look at me, I started ranting. I could have been opening the snack yeah, while you, you were been. opening the bottle. <laughs> Ooh. Oh my gosh! It's kind of fruit punchy. I mean, it's got a lot of like a lot of raspberries. Oh wow! I just smelled of it as I broke from trying to. You got a knife over there? I do not. I was using my bottle opener. To... Let me see that. There we go. That smells really good. It smells fantastic. I'm intrigued by these little snacks. It's a nice, it's a nice bouquet that you would find on a lot of red wines. All right, there's two sides to this. One side contains the applets. The other side contains the cutlets. This is the most complex sips and snacks we've ever done. I know. There's instructions. All right, I guess we'll do one of each, right? I guess so. Cutlet. <laughs> feels funny what'd you call cotlet is that right am i saying it wrong i don't know i don't know applet <laughs> okay they look like little turkish delights i mean they they really do they're like dipped in powdered sugar oh man this woodenville smells really good i have to get a flask and i'll pour some of this a big chunk of this for you he also sent cigars which i need to share with you oh heck yeah because i don't know nothing about cigars do you know what he sent 
Um, I got a picture. I got no idea. I've never seen that brand before. There's like 12 of them, though. 300 Monos? Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Can we smoke in here? No. Oh. What if we open the garage door and we smoke outside? We, if we did that, it would be completely fine. Oh, we but should do that. <laughs> we are... No, 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 no. When it gets to be around summertime, we are 100% doing... It. I yeah. mean, like, springish. Time. I gotta I gotta get the pair and some cigars because I don't know nothing about but, them. But, like, we, in, in here... Yeah, absolutely not like because yeah well you got a little doggy door and stuff there too, i got the so. doggy door this is right below our bedroom too true so <laughs> i didn't think about that i've thought about it for a while yeah we'd do a summer episode where we open that up and we just yeah, smoke outside. yeah we look like old people who sit out yeah. in their uh the little lawn chairs and stuff <laughs> yeah. there they are old eric and perry smoking cigars drinking bourbon at 11 o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> this by itself is awesome. It's really good. It does. It smells like fruit punch. Let me just say, I have not had anything from Woodenville that I have not just absolutely loved. Man. Everything that they put out, I have been a huge fan of. That finish is straight up. Um, it's like, it's like almost like a bubblicious, kind of like like fruity gum. I'm getting a lot of chocolate, honestly. You get chocolate on, yeah. I'm getting a lot of chocolate. I don't know how it's going to pair with these I don't things. Um, which one you want to do first? I think we should probably but go. See, oh, the thing is, I looked, um, when I looked the Woodenville up, their tasting notes had the same stuff in it. So then I was like, did he want us to pair this? Let me look it up. The finishing process adds notes of dried apricots and orange, is what they said. So we have to pair it. We have to with these now. Yeah. So let's do this. Let's take, <clears throat> let's take one bite out of each. Okay. And then, when like we'll do, we'll do like two of them squished together. Okay. All right. The cutlet. Oh, I went for the applet. Hmm. Not bad. I enjoy that. Mm. It's very light and refreshing. Hey. All right. Well, that was pretty we're, good. We're doing the two opposite fruits, but this one's pretty good, too. So I'll save that half. Oh, man. Oh. Mm. Oh, I get more chocolate now that I ate that. And the applet... Brings out a lot of the red fruit. Okay. Wow. I get a lot more chocolate now when I mix the cutlet. It just exploded like at the back of my palate. That was crazy. Oh, that's pretty good, Joe. All right, going for the applet. I think I like the cutlet a little bit better. Mm. Okay, the app, the applet tastes like I'm eating... Um, What's that stuff your grandma would put in their, your bathroom that was like the little, like... Potpourri. Potpourri. <laughs> it tastes like I'm eating potpourri. All right. And with the wooden bill. Yeah, you're right. The cutlet does bring out more of the chocolate. It just amplifies that, like, very, like, perfumey flavor to me. Yeah. If I'm going to like do a straight up pairing on this one, that cutlet in the Woodenville is is uh, like 
chocolate and apricot. Like, it's really good. Yeah. I'm definitely throwing the, the two of them together, All right, though. here too. we go. Mixing them up. Both of them together are pretty good. Mm-hmm. The cutlet drowns out a little bit more of the perfume, and you get more of just the kind of the red fruit. I still think the cutlet and the Woodenville is the pairing yeah. on this one. That one, the two together is a better treat, but adding the Woodenville didn't do a whole lot more to it, but the Cotlet and the Woodenville. Yeah. Dang. Interesting. Well, that was random. That was. Hmm. I liked that, though. That was really good. That was a very different Sips and Snacks. I'm also hoping that you've got something different for this question that I'm about to ask you, which is, what have you been drinking recently? Ooh, I do. I do. I do. Um, so, Banners, my local sports bar across mm-hmm. the street. Um, I got their new 1792 Foolproof. The championship one? Uh-huh. How is it? It's It smells like French toast. Ooh. I will bring it over. Please um, do. Next time. Um but the fun thing is, is like, I got a little, uh, I just saw Ryan, uh, the owner, he posted on the banners thing. Hey, new pick, come and get it. Right. And when I got up there, went to get it. And he was like, they, it was a low yield barrel. Like he was like, wow, they, I can't remember the exact number, but for like a 1792, it was pretty low. Um, and so he said he keeps so many of them back for the bar. And right. then he keeps some back because he's the the banners uh, picks all the recent ones have all had like the Kentucky UK championships yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. So he keeps some back for the bar. Then he keeps like a collection back so he can have like the full banner. I think he's going to make a big display with them and That'd stuff. Be awesome. And he always gives like his pick team a uh, bottle and then whatever's left, then he'll put out. And like, so there was not a whole lot left. And like, no joke, I love 1792 foolproof picks. I do too. I think they're always solid. Sometimes they're kind of just mediocre, like, hey, 125 proof, 1792, it's good. Yeah. But this one, it smells like French toast, and it's more breakfasty and maybe cherry cola on the palate. And it's probably one of, I haven't had a new 1792 foolproof pick in a while, and it's probably one of my new favorite ones. So I will definitely bring that over. For you it wouldn't last long here <laughs> i will not leave it because i know no, no 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 but i mean like if i did have a bottle of oh, it yeah. it would not last very i don't long. even know they may i think they're already sold out i'm sure they are i'm, I'm sure they are so uh about midway through quarantine you came by um and you dropped off a whiskey mutant shirt for I me did. which i love uh and you also dropped off the nulu double oak perry's punch uh which is 120 proof um I still love this pick. I still think it's just fantastic Honestly, and delicious. After getting it home, like I love all three of those picks that we did, but like I probably went more into the um, the Perry's Punch than I have anything. I'm trying to save the maple. Like I think the maple special. Oh, I, like that's that's my bottle of the maple. Yeah. Like I I only want to drink it. Like it, if. If I do drink it, it's going to be on like either special occasions yeah. or just, you know, if I need something completely different to kind of reset my palate. Um, the sherbet is, yes, I say sherbet. But look, so does everybody else. I was corrected because I spelled sherbet wrong on the sticker. 
So if you got, if you get it, you've got like a, it's, I do it like a, a basketball, basketball card error. Like you've got like an error card. <laughs> Everybody else says Sherbert. And nobody and says Sherbet. Sherbet or Sherbet. Shut up. <laughs> but, um, I've got a lot of animosity this week. Um, I haven't seen anybody for two weeks. And so my, my vitriol is just all built up. Um, but it's it's good. It it still is straight up Sherbert. But I've almost crushed Perry's punch. Awesome. And I've interrupted your what have you been no, doing? No, 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 no. It's totally it's totally fine. But at the beginning of the week too, um I I received this Elijah Craig barrel proof single barrel. Mm-hmm. Uh eleven eleven year old, one twenty one point six proof. Hands down the best pick we've had so far, I think. I I need to compare them. I know you you you've done some comparisons, but it's I can't think of maybe one or two that it's like in line with. Like we've had several of those picks now. Yeah. And it's definitely one of the best. Yeah. It's, and it's from a grocery store. Yeah. And I got another one coming, not that one I was gonna tell you about. I didn't know about that. Yeah. So this is what you're gonna be drinking? Yeah, it's what I'm gonna be drinking when I finally pick it up. I'll tell you about it. What later. you drinking, what you gonna drink? Yeah. In a couple of weeks. You see where Possibly the two. you see where the influence for this segment came from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Except it's early on in the podcast, not towards the end. All right. <laughs> so this <West> week, <laughs> this week, uh, I am very fortunate to welcome to the show Clay Risen, who is an incredible author. Uh, his new book, Bourbon: The Story of Kentucky Whiskey, is out now. Uh, you can find it in most major retailers or on Amazon. I believe that they had a sale going for it uh, recently for about thirty percent off. So hmm. if you want to check that out, you can go do so. So Clay, I'm really happy to have you on the podcast, man. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I, uh, I I'll give a little bit of uh, insight as to why. Now, uh, I asked you to be on the show. I was in uh, Joseph Beth Booksellers here in Lexington, mm-hmm. Kentucky, and I, I happened to cross your new book. And right. I was like, this is amazing, and I need it, and I want to talk to this guy. And sure enough, I reached out to you on Instagram, and I said, hey, do you want to talk for a little while about bourbon and about your book? And you said, yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was like, okay. Great. (laughs) Let's just, let's go ahead and and get it scheduled. But uh, for anybody who might not know who you are, uh, Clay, uh, uh, give everybody just kind of a little bit of a background on uh, on you. Yeah. So my name is uh, Clay Risen. I'm a reporter and editor uh, at the New York Times, uh, where among other things, I write about whiskey. And uh, I've been writing about whiskey for about 15 years now. And uh, uh, I've got about, well, I have four books uh not about four books i have four uh (laughs) most recent i should know that Um, one's a novella we haven't you know (laughs) yeah right (laughs) that was was my my awkward face uh uh so the most recent one as as you mentioned came out in december and it is uh called uh bourbon the story of kentucky whiskey and it's um you know a big uh i guess you could call it a coffee table book it's fatter than it is a bit wider. Right. Uh, right. but it's that general, general thing. And, uh, uh, it's, uh, has a drawer, it has ephemera in it, but it also has a book obviously. And, uh, you know, in it, I go through the, 
uh, kind of the warp and weft of Kentucky whiskey, the history, yeah. the people, the profiles of distilleries, all the companies that support the distilleries, uh, you know, cooperages and yeah. farmers and, and everything in between. So it was a lot of fun to do. And, and I'm, I'm tickled to be, be here to talk about it. I, I will say, I, I don't think that I have seen as good of an example in a, in a bourbon book that, and I guess pun intended, but distilled basically everything about bourbon so concisely, but so efficiently as well. Mm. Um, like there's, it, it, it's about like 250 pages, yeah. right? That it's, yeah. There's not a lot of fat left. I mean, like it, it is just very much like, this is the story of it. This is the basic history of it. And let's talk about the places that make it and how, you know, just the, the basic, like, how does it get made from, from barrel to bottle? essentially. Um, and I, I really like that about it because I, I think that we can get really, really bogged down in a lot of the weeds of just like flowery language when it comes to talking about history and just, you know, kind of glossing over a lot of what the, the point is. And it, it feels like a lot of that comes naturally, especially because of your, your reporting uh, background mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, one of the things that I really wanted to do when I wrote this book was to write something that was both uh, appealing to people who knew a good amount about bourbon, a good amount about whiskey, but also was not, you know, as you said, like so far in the weeds that people who didn't know and were maybe looking for something to kind of help them walk through the whiskey world, uh, that they would find it interesting too. And so I, you know, that was uh, maybe the the main challenge. And that was the challenge that my editor put to me. You know, she had first, it was her idea to do the book and, uh, or to do the book oh, wow. in this way. Yeah. And one of the things she had said was, you know, she had, she lives in San Francisco. And she said, well, I was in Kentucky. This is a few years ago now. Uh, but I was in Kentucky with some friends and I didn't know anything about whiskey. Uh, but we had a great time. And we had sort of come looking for kind of that Napa experience, but with whiskey and, you know, and we found it, but, you know, I came away, she's a book editor. So obviously she thinks this, uh, she said, I came away wishing that there were a book that someone like me uh, could buy and display, but also really learn from. And so, you know, what, what I said back to her was, you know, there are, uh, I'd love to do that, but I want to make sure that it's a book that, people who do know about whiskey aren't going to turn away from because, you know, it's all one-on-one stuff. So, yeah. and she agreed. She said, that's exactly it. And so, you know, I think the book helped the, the book benefits a lot too, from the presentation and the layout. This is not me, so I can, I can brag on it, but the layout <laughs> team was great. The photography team was great or the photographer, uh, right. share it was amazing. And, you know, they really zeroed in on, putting together visually and, and tactically tact, uh, tactilely, uh, a book that reflected the, the, the theme and the feel that I was going for. Right. With the and I think they nailed it. So yeah. I'm very happy with that aspect of it. Yeah, you know, it's something that, you know, I think does kind of, I hope, you know, pay, pay 
you know, do honor, pay, pay, uh, uh, you know, say something nice about the whiskey industry, but also is, you know, as I said, sort of outward looking to say, hey, you don't know anything about whiskey. This book is going to help you know, know something from whiskey. Yeah. And I think it also kind of begs the reader to be more inquisitive as well. Um, just because I, it, it does such a, a good job of like introducing you to the key players and showing people like who these, you know, these whiskey legends were with, with bourbon. And, and then it just gives you also like the scientific analysis of bourbon and like explaining like at a base level, what does malt even do? in Mm -hmm. in a mash bill and i mean like that's that's something that i you know like as soon as i learned that it just became it it like just opened up this whole world for me of like oh my gosh it's not just this easy process of creating bourbon and sometimes you know they have to put in um secondary uh um for whatever it is to create uh fermentation you know Mm -hmm. i can't i cannot think of what it is right now but um you know, just things like that. And just like the, the knowledge, it feels like the more you look into it, your knowledge about bourbon is just kind of growing by like a hundred percent every time that you learn something, something yeah. new about it. And, and like yeah. this, this book, and, and by the way, I didn't say this up top. It is gorgeous. I mean, truly, truly, it is so, so pretty. Um, yeah. but it, it, does like just it makes you just want to sit and and read and absorb everything that is being presented yeah one of uh another challenge that i faced or inspiration really uh so before this book uh my publisher uh 10 speed press they had done a book uh, about the champagne region in france and it very similar in that same same design same kind of two-part sleeve you know, box with uh, yep. the drawer and and then with the book. And a lot of that book was about the history and the people and everything that made Champagne, Champagne, right? The Champagne region, the Champagne right. uh, drink, wine that we consume. So part of the challenge that she presented to me was, I want a book like this, but for bourbon. And so, you know, my response to her was, you know, I mean, that's a great idea. I love it. Uh, but also it's, it's going to be tough to do a book that's exactly like that because champagne has, to be honest, a much longer, much, much denser history. Uh, you know, I mean, I would say, I think we'd be close to that if we didn't have prohibition. Uh, but you know, we basically, started over in 1933. So, uh, you know, there hasn't, we can look back and say, ah, they've been making bourbon for over 200 years in Kentucky, but you know, in another way, they've only been making it for, uh, you know, for 90 years. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so I said, you know, so we have to adjust for that and there's, I have to come up with ways to talk about it, uh, in something similar, but also different. And so, but one of the things that I took away from that book uh, and and I recommend anybody who likes champagne, wants to learn about champagne, should get it. Um, but one of the things I took away was, you know, that there was a there was a lot to know about champagne. And yeah. honestly, a lot more than I thought. I don't know anything about champagne, or I didn't <laughs> before I read this book. And what I, aside from learning about it, 
I took away, you know, that there is a, there is a, there is a standard of information and there is a, there is a lot of stuff to know and a lot of detail and, and it's worth knowing. Yeah. I think that's the other thing is the book argued and demonstrated it's worth knowing who these people are, what this yeah. history is. And so I wanted to do the same thing with this. And for me, it was even more urgent, right? With champagne, you sort of assume that, oh yeah, there are some people who've been making champagne for a long time and they know what they're doing and there's some details. I assume that it's complicated. With bourbon, I don't think people necessarily see it that way. Uh, and so what I wanted to do is to both present that information, but also to glorify it in a certain way to say, yes, it is worth truly appreciating what goes into making bourbon because yeah. it's really hard yeah. and you know not just the distillation but the uh the coopering the the building of the stills the building of the warehouses and the decisions about what goes where in each warehouse and how you over years and years decide this barrel is ready and this barrel is not ready and we're going to use this barrel to do this other thing it's an immense amount of information most of which i mean depending on the distillery, you know, most of which is fairly analog. You know, it's it's not like they're going around testing each one with, uh, send you know with with chemical analysis and then putting it on right. your computer. I mean, some places do that, but a lot of them, you know, it's just yeah, that barrel has these qualities. It's not ready this one, and it, you know, you have to be really knowledgeable and really in touch with your warehouses to be able to do that. And you have to be part of a team that does that. And so it's a really, you know, especially at a big place like Wild Turkey, uh, you really have to have a good team and yeah. a good manager. And so I wanted to communicate that and to say, you know, when you go visit the distillery, they're going to make it, they're going to give you the, the nickel and dime tour and they're going to give you the one-on-one. And of course they are, because that's what, you know, that's what most people are looking for. They're not going to overload you with information but don't come away thinking that that's all there is. Right. You know, and, and hopefully people will, they'll go on the tours, they'll read my book, but they'll also dive even deeper and really yeah. come to understand yeah. these nuances. Not everybody and everyone can get off the bus at a different point, but you know, I want people to understand that that bus ride is really long if they want to sit down. <laughs> I, I will say too, I think that you do just, a, a very effective job of describing how bourbon and, and truly just American whiskey has just been shaped so, so vigorously by like a handful of people like the, the talking especially about um, James Crow. Mm -hmm. Fascinating to me that he was the one that was, he introduced basically sour mash to people mm -hmm. just in, incredible and that nobody ever really thought to use any of the leftover mash for <laughs> their, their next batch of whiskey just, and it always just takes one person to hop in and go, yeah, maybe yeah. we should try this or, you know, I've been doing this and maybe you guys should, should try it as well. But what, what's really nice talking about as well, your, your bus metaphor is that this is, basically broken up into like three categories essentially i th i think like three larger categories like history the distilleries and then like essentially how it's made mm -hmm. right um yeah. 
and so, I mean, if, if you know most of the history, you can get right to the distilleries. If you know most of the distilleries and the history and you just want to learn more about the science behind it and the barrels and everything, that's there for you as well. But there's, there's also this, there, there's this very intimate relationship just with bourbon in general throughout all of it. And, and you start the, the book with a couple, I want to touch on two things uh, in particular. The first was your uh, story about going and playing golf with your grandfather. Mm -hmm. And he, he pulled out Blanton's. Right. Do you still drink Blanton's like that? Or <laughs> you know, it's funny because um, you know I've been telling that story for a while because uh, it's true, and uh, you know, and, and me, it's a you know, it's a touching. I mean, me personally, uh, you know, I'm glad my grandfather introduced me to good bourbon. Of course, that's, yeah, that's cool. Uh, for a long time, well, you know, it kind of went through three phases, right? First was I would tell people this, and even. Some people, you know, a good number of whiskey fans would say, oh, you know, Blanton, which one is that? Is that ba wait, that's not Baker's, right? That's <laughs> Booker's? Oh, Blanton. Okay, right. And then- Still don't and then really know what you're talking about either. Yeah. And then there was kind of a middle period where you'd get, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, yeah, Blanton's. Yeah, I've seen that on the shelf, but can you get me some Pappy? You know? And, you know, it was, uh, and then about- Three years, two and a half years ago, I was in a liquor store in New York, just kind of killing some time. And, uh, and I had always, I always knew this was going to happen, but, uh, but it kind of hit me just like a, like a train. Uh, I saw Blanton's for two fifty. Oh, and it was, I mean, it had been it's a while. Demoralizing. It's, it was insane. And, and it had been a while since I'd looked at the price of Blanton's because honestly yeah. it had always been, 55, 60 bucks. And, you know, I like Blanton's. Um, I'll be honest, after a while, it was not my favorite anymore. Sure. Um, but whatever, each their own. But, uh, you know, every once in a while, I would buy a bottle at 50, 60 bucks. Hadn't bought a bottle in a while. I saw it at 250 and was just, oh my <laughs> God. And, you know, and it's just gone up from there. I mean, I don't know what it is in Lexington these days, but you know, in New York, it's, you see it for 350 sometimes, and that's sure. on the shelf, you know, the market for the secondary market is, is insane for Blanton's and, you know, the, the liquor hasn't changed. In fact, I mean, Blanton's yeah. today is not what Blanton's used to be. It's a, you know, yeah. it's a younger, they're putting younger juice in there and, uh, man. So I, did, I, I didn't want to bring that up on the podcast. Like that is something that I have been uh, kind of circling around being aware of for a little while mm -hmm. but it, it is so sad because i mean it's gotten down to like four or five years old at times yeah, uh, it, yeah. It's, it's so unfortunate it is and you know i mean distilleries are going to do what they do but it's uh it is i think the you know the sad sad side of of the bourbon craze is that stuff that used to just be low hanging fruit. I mean, yeah. You know, I, folks who have been around long enough can, and, and this is true if you've been around for five years, cause you'll say, Oh, you know, I, I remember when I could get Blanton's, for, but you know, if you've been around for 10 years, 15 years, you know, you say, Oh, I remember when Pappy was a hundred bucks Yeah, when, you know, Pappy 23 was 150, 200 yeah. bucks. 
And uh, yeah, you know, that wasn't that long ago, really. And uh, so it's, you know, it's nice to see whiskey being popular and something we can talk about and I can go on podcasts and talk about, right. but yeah, it's, it's kind of a bummer at the D- same time. Does the introduction of some of these newer distilleries, some of these newer brands for you outweigh that feeling of, well, you know, things really aren't how they used to be. Like it is, is is it a good thing essentially for bourbon or are we always going to have like those, those times where like, ah, I remember the days of old. Uh, That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that that's, one way or the other, that's all. That's just part of the human condition, right? Sure. Oh, yeah, things, absolutely. Things were better back then, and <laughs> so it doesn't. You know, it's it's that's just a function of time. Um, I mean, sometimes it's true. A lot of times it's not. A lot of times it's just what you're looking back at. Right. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I am really happy that there are so many great distilleries now. And those distilleries probably would not exist if there weren't so much interest in whiskey. So, you know, does that outweigh uh, the availability of some of these or, or the, you know, reasonable availability of some of these iconic brands? Sure. I think so, because it's pointing toward the future. You know, when I think of a place like you know, Wilderness Trace or New Riff, um, you know, these just great young distilleries and they're already, yeah. I mean, I love their stuff so much now. And yeah. I think about, you know, 20 years from now, what is a, what's a good bottle of wilderness trail going to be like? It's going to yeah. be amazing. It, I mean, it's funny because those were the two distilleries too, that immediately popped my mind. Just yeah. thinking about like those new, the new guard that is kind of like, you know, ushering in these, these, products that are essentially going to be heritage brands in yeah. 50, 60, and, 70 years. Yeah. And so, you know, would I, would I take four or five of those over, you know, Pappy, cheap Pappy. And yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You've um, heard it here first folks. I mean, that, that is, I mean, the, no offense. That's a no fine answer. Pappy, but <laughs> Uh, but I will gladly accept not being able to buy Pappy every day in exchange for four or five or more great distilleries that would not exist yeah. without this craze. This is also something that we've been talking about on, on the podcast for the past couple of weeks, but it's this, and, and this is a, a very like personal thing that I've been feeling over the past six months or so, but it really does just kind of seem like heritage brands don't matter as much as they used to. And if they do, it's to people who are forking over, you know, <clears throat> 10 times the price of what it actually is su- supposed to be. And, and it's more of a status thing than it is like to enjoy the actual whiskey. I, th- I think so. I mean, I guess I would just, I would say it's, it's a little uneven, um, sure. Oh, oh you know, yeah, I, absolutely. I'm not trying to say that it's, you know, 100% black and white or one way or the no, other. No, no, I just mean that there are some heritage brands that are, uh, a lot of them, that are insanely popular for reasons that I can't fathom. Like, sure. basic Buffalo Trace is a perfectly fine $30, $35 whiskey. The idea that that is on allocation because it's, people are buying yeah. it 
every chance they can get is is insane to me because there are a lot of other equally good whiskeys at that absolutely at that price point and i don't get it i just i honestly don't get it um but that said you know um look wild turkey it just it's just sitting there no one's buying wild i mean <laughs> no one's going after wild turkey that way and thank god you know yeah but and i would take russell's 10 you know 101 i'd probably take those next to buffalo trace over yeah. buffalo trace i mean you know it's it's weird but you know i i agree that there are these uh, there are these brands that um you know for whatever reason are well positioned they're they've got big budgets behind them uh they've got cachet and yeah you know they tend to attract people who uh you know look are probably not as not as versed in whiskey uh they're coming to the industry because their friends are in it uh they're coming to the collecting and and they're not that interested in the drinking part you know they're really interested in this, the collecting it, the status yeah, part yeah exactly and so you know what incentive do you have to then go oh you know what i you know i was listening to this podcast and i heard clay Risen talking about wilderness trail and i went out and bought it well that doesn't matter if you don't really care about what's in it or if your <laughs> friends don't care or if your That's friends are right. really impressed if you've got a 10 year old mictors or whatever so you know, I mean, I'm, and I'm of two minds of that, right? I mean, part of me says, uh, you're an idiot. And, you know, what are you thinking? And, you know, you need to get, you need to open your eyes. On the other hand, am I not sad that I can find a bottle of Wilderness Trail on the shelf for sure. the same price as I used to? And, you know, that my Russell's 10 is always going to be there. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. So, you know, that's, that's the thing. It's, um, and as long as there are those brands, as long as there's shelter from the storm somewhere, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. I, I came to the, the peace of mind probably within the past couple of months that Russell's 10 is not only an, an okay, uh, replacement for McKenna 10 single barrel, which, you know, of course, mm -hmm. we used to be able to find all the time for $30. But, yeah, that's another uh, one. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's not, it doesn't just feel like a replacement anymore because of how great that whiskey is. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just an incredible product. And I mean, like, I do at times feel like oh, I'm just trying to find the next thing that I can, you know, try to say, like, just, you know, keep shifting the, the field goal, yeah. you know, to, to keep saying, well, you know, it was... I'm going to get there eventually, but, you know, I've got to, you know, figure out my stuff before I actually reach it. But I, I just, McKenna 10 absolutely hold, or excuse me, Russell's 10. McKenna yeah. 10, I can't hardly talk about anymore because, <laughs> you know, it's like a spurdex yeah. lover. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I do want to circle back. This was actually the other thing that I wanted to talk about at the, the opening of, of the book. But it, and it's actually about the Russell's. Because you you spend a significant portion of the beginning of the book talking about Wild Turkey and, and mm -hmm. Jimmy and Eddie. And I think that not only are they just kind of like the the perfect introduction to a family brand, but really just to what bourbon is right yeah. now as well. Yeah, I mean, I think 
you know, this is no huge insight on my part, but, you know, I think that Jimmy is, I mean, obviously he's a living legend, but, you know, yeah. he connects us, connects us to a period in, in whiskey making that is long forgotten by almost everybody else. You know, there are a few guys left, but, but it's, it's mostly Jimmy and certainly in terms, you know, maybe Jim Rutledge, but in terms sure. of people still on the scene working, yeah, it's Jimmy. But also Jimmy personally, you know, there's, yeah. uh, there is, he is, uh, you know, all the cliches, right? He's a prince of a guy. He's, uh, you know, just a real good old boy in the positive sense of just, you know, doesn't have any airs about him, doesn't, doesn't have an enemy, doesn't have, uh, you know, a stranger is just a friend you haven't met with Jimmy. Yeah. And, you know, and he's uh, and it, he's a, a straightforward guy in that respect, and and I think that whiskey, Kentucky whiskey, to me is is that, and maybe not always in practice, and sure. certainly not today in every way, but it yeah. should be, and it used to be, and hopefully it still can be, um, but that's why I that's why I went with with them because I thought that they had just that that, and of course the father son dynamic is is valuable yeah. um you know in terms of storytelling uh i think it's also valuable for the industry to know about oh that. of course yeah you know i think i think the nose have that story too it's 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 a little different i do spend time with them later on um you know but there's just something about jimmy and eddie as a dynamic that yeah is uh fascinating to me so yeah so opening the book just almost felt with them just felt like almost a no-brainer and and I think too, like it, it's not just father and son; it's father, son, and grandson. Well, yeah, yeah, so, and Bruce you know, is there. It, yeah, yeah, and, and and that's such a a fascinating facet within whiskey making right now. I mean, like truly, where who are the other families that we can point to that have? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, like the Beams, and yeah. the then that's it, the Beams. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, you know? it's, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's too bad because I think a lot of these guys, you know, Fred No and, and Eddie are kind of unique in that everybody else of their generation looked at what their dads were doing. And they said, you know, in the seventies and eighties, what they were going through. Yeah. And they said, there is no future here for us. Uh, this is an industry, this is a dying industry and I am not going to be a part of it. And, you know, I've never actually asked that of some of the, some of the older, you know, Elmer's gone, but, uh, you know, well, yeah, but people like that. What, what did their kids do instead? And where did they go? And, um, you know, and I, and you got to wonder, you got to figure that uh, things would have been different had, had we not had the industry not gone through that kind of fallow period, you might right. have more of that generation of folks. Yeah. Uh, and instead you have, yeah, really just, just two, um, you know, there are a few others out there who are like, like Steve Beam and, and some others who are picking true, up true, yeah. uh, kind of their heritage um, after a period, you know, they're kind of bringing it back, but, but not direct, you know, not direct father son relationships. And, you know, and that, that's a bummer that really, yeah, you know, to, to put it simply uh, cause that's what separates bourbon from, you know, sir, I mean, you see this out in California and in, in the wine industry, there's a lot of 
uh, generational transfer. Uh, there's a lot in France, obviously. Uh, and, you know, maybe that'll happen in whiskey. I mean, I think, I, I think things are looking pretty good for that, but obviously we've got a long way to go, but it would be really cool if the kids of some of the founders of this generation of whiskey making found themselves in the industry so that 50 years from now we could talk about, you know, right. Picking that back up. Yeah. Uh, Cause so much. And the, the other thing, and, and something that I, I, if I were to do, if I were to do the book over one thing that I would do, one thing I would add to it uh, was, you know, I would, I would go and try to interview, get in touch with, you know, just kind of profile uh, like some warehouse workers. And, oh, you know, wow, cause, okay. cause that's, cause those are people who also, you know, those are generational intergenerational yeah. jobs. You get people who have been working for a distillery same distillery or just in the same industry as their parents, their grandparents. And, you know, they're, they're sharing knowledge too. They're passing down wisdom. Absolutely. About, you know, how do you run a warehouse? How do you pick barrels? How do you, you know, maintain a warehouse through, uh, through the seasons. And, you know, I think that's, that's really important. And I mentioned in a few places, but keep it very anonymous. You know, there are these people who work in the warehouses yeah. and they work in the labs and, um, but I would go a little deeper and I would actually put some faces and names to those folks. Cause I think that's an important part of that transfer. Yeah. And, and I think giving attention, paying attention to that and talking about those folks, you know, is a way of encouraging, you know, in the little bit that I can do. Uh, but, you know, of saying like, you guys do an important thing and we want to, you know, hopefully this continues. So kind of tangentially, I want, I want to talk about something that, um, I, I I remember when this came up last year, but I, I want to start it out. I don't know how you feel about people reading your work to you, but um, I had to I had to highlight a particular passage um, just talking about the the current bourbon boom. Uh, you said, aside from an elite few, most people paid for value, cheap, reliable, uh, reliable booze uh, won the day. Lately, the opposite is true. People are drinking less but they are drinking better and more of them are doing it despite growth in the amount of alcohol sold per capita alcohol uh, consumption has increased only marginally from 2.2 gallons of pure alcohol in 2002, 2.35 in 2018. And there was, there was something about this that sparked my, my memory about this study from, uh, or this article at the very least from, from CNN. And it was uh, from 2020 and the headline is just young Americans are more likely to say no to alcohol. And what's, what struck me so much about this, I, even, even just as I went back and read uh, this article again, your numbers, your, your date range lines up perfectly with what CNN reported on. But on the flip side, so they said between 2002 and 2018, mm. the number of adults aged 18 to 22 in the U.S. who abstained from drinking alcohol increased from 20 to 28 percent for those in college. Uh, for those not in school, the percentage was 30 percent up uh, from 24 percent in 2002. Um, and, and this just kind of like it, it got me going like, is this just another instance where we're kind of seeing people? shine away from what like their their I don't want to say ancestors because a lot of them are still alive <laughs> but like you know they're 
the, like their, their parents and their grandparents, like, are they starting to just kind of shy away from the things that they enjoyed in life or, and I, I, I'm trying to paint that as a, a prettier picture, I think, than, you know, it may deserve because alcohol abuse is not, <laughs> it's not something to joke about either, no, sure. but I, I just, I wonder if there's like this, it, like, it's interesting to me to see like the, these two things line up so well. Yeah. Um, did I do too much research? Like, <laughs> <laughs> did my brain no. go in too many different directions? No, no, I think that's, look, <laughs> I mean, I think that's a good question. And, and, you know, if, if, if what you're asking is, you know, what should we think about this trend of drinking less? I mean, if that's essentially, essentially, yes. Yeah. Like, are, like, is, are we seeing essentially, you know, the, the dark days of bourbon in one form or another coming our way? And I know that you say within the book too, that like, the, the bubble is not bursting anytime soon. And it does just kind of keep like creeping away and creeping away from the goal line. But like, if we see just, you know, based on statistics, the amount of people that are drinking less and less, I mean, does, does that indicate an, another shift? No, I think, so I think there's a couple of things going on and, and a couple of things that make it different from the past. Uh, you know, if, if in the, in the past, uh, let's say up until 1970, uh, let's say from prohibition to 1970, um, you know, people generally drank whiskey like a commodity. Uh, they tended to have their favorite whiskey and they would drink it, but you couldn't really say, you know, it's sort of like some people are Bud Light drinkers and some are Coors Light drinkers. And I don't know what's the difference, <laughs> but, but they will tell you that they drink one or the other, uh, you know, so the same thing in the, 30s to the 70s, you know, people tend to say, well, I drink this and that's why I drink. And I'm, I drink a lot of it or I don't drink a lot of it, <laughs> but I tend to pay the same amount with yeah. inflation. And, and, you know, not a lot of thinking about what was in there, despite marketing and whatever people would try to tell you. And, uh, and then at a certain point, people stopped drinking brown spirits and moved toward white spirits, generally right. speaking. So, uh, but the other thing is that we're talking about a pretty closed system. Uh, most of the whiskey consumed in the United States was made in the United States or Canada. Uh, you know, there's some amount of scotch that was consumed sure. more, more than now, but, but generally speaking, you're talking about American whiskey being drunk by Americans, Canadian being drunk by Canadians and Americans, but uh, it's very different now. And, and there are two things, right? So first of all, is that, is that premiumization? and an awareness of premiumization. So not only that people are drinking more, they're drinking less, but they're drinking more expensive whiskey, uh, but they're also drinking different whiskeys. You know, so you don't have that brand loyalty. You have a lot more, in, you have a lot more curiosity. You have a lot more kind of jumping around and trying, uh, you know, I, I feel like- Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. I feel like rye tonight. I feel like, uh, you know, a, a you know, finished, you know, wine finished scotch tonight. I feel whatever. Uh, I feel like a cocktail. Uh, you have a lot of that and, and a lot more attention to what the distilleries do, right? Rather than just sort of, I'm going to hang my flag with this brand. Sure. Uh, so, you know, so that's much more, I think, uh, generative for the industry, right? So, yeah, maybe they're not selling the same amount per capita, uh, but they're selling, they're making more money per capita and they're, doing more stuff they kind of know how to generate interest uh 
Um, but the other thing that's happening is that you go to talk to a lot of distilleries, particularly the big ones, and you know they'll tell you off off the record, uh, or maybe on the record if you get them drunk. Uh, <laughs> they'll they'll tell you that demand in the United States could flatline tomorrow, and it wouldn't matter because all of their plans are are foreign. Sure. Uh, you know, yeah, the domestic market is great, uh, but the domestic market will hit saturation at some point. Um, and, and I, I believe that we're, you know, we're not there yet, but we're going to get to it. Um, you know, there are a lot of other spirits that are challenging whiskey. Uh, tequila is blowing up, uh, you know, challenging American whiskey, Irish whiskey is, is going through the roof. Um, and, uh, you know, then you, these companies, they look abroad and they do their marketing te market testing and they see, oh my God, all we have to do is capture 1% of the market in China and we have all the demand we need for a decade, right? Uh, Indonesia, uh, Malaysia, if we ever get into India, you know, yeah. middle class in Africa. I mean, they, different people have different targets, but that's sure. the, general, the general direction. And so, you know, I don't, I don't worry a lot uh, about you know is there going to, is the bubble going to burst is are we seeing a new uh, a new sort of pulling away now um, because I just think I just think it's a different story than it used to be. I I like to and this was not me trying to like bait you into one answer no. or another because like I I feel I feel very strongly that it it also is not. A, a way there it it also is not something that we should look at and think negatively about and uh, i mean from experience i'm 28 i mean i've not even crossed the, the threshold of 30 and you know i basically got into bourbon when i was about 22 23 and it was early but mm -hmm. still like i i had friends who enjoyed bourbon and i got to know people who had just a passion for it and it made me excited about it and wanted to learn more and just be involved and you know even just being a Kentuckian I mean it it feels so ingrained in you know not that my family was were, were whiskey makers as far as I know but you know it, it does feel like just part of our heritage i yeah. mean it's it, it is america's native spirit and and we <laughs> we should we should take some some pride in that but i i i truly do not think that we are going to see this just evaporate anytime soon but it's it's something that i i always kind of like want to have even just little conversations about because I mean, it's important, you know, what are we looking at, you know, trajectory wise, what, what is your five year plan essentially with, with bourbon, you know, <laughs> what's, mm -hmm. what's going to happen very soon. But I, I, it's, it's nice to kind of, you know, even if it may be inside a small vacuum here that, you know, there, there are slight things that are going to uh, keep it going, even if it might not be in the same vein that we have kind of had uh, for, for a while. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's right. I mean, you know, the one thing that I do think will, will happen is, you know, I, maybe I'm just struck by the last couple of days, 
the discus, the distilled spirits council, their, um, their report came out just showing, you know, what I said before about this dramatic increase in uh, tequila sales. And, you know, now people are, you know, so there's more tequila sold in the US than, than whiskey. And, you know, now there's some talk about, well, you know, maybe it could even overtake vodka. And, you know, tequila's here to stay. Tequila's always been here. Yeah. Um, you know, do I think that people are going to be sipping tequila in the way they sip bourbon? Probably, I don't know. Who knows? I've seen, uh, it. I've seen it happen. Yeah, I mean, it's, it it's not. It's not, you know, it doesn't not exist. Yeah, right. Yeah, but it's still mostly a cocktail drink. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but look, there's some great tequilas out there, and I am glad to see uh, tequila growing that way. But yeah. I guess my point is that, you know, look, whiskey has to share the shelf, of course. But but I don't really think that, at least not at this moment, that it's uh, a question of being crowded out. I don't think it's I don't think it's a zero sum game right now. Um, right. You know, I think I think a lot of it is uh, is just figuring out how to capture some of that mind share of, of you know, consumers who you know, they want to try one thing one night, they want to try something the other night and making sure that, you know, whiskey is interesting to them. You know, I, it, I, I have a, a goal at the very least, like something I want to see happen. And like, after it happens, if the, if the bubble bursts, I'll be okay with it. I've just got to know what the bourbon at Castling Key is like. I've just got to know (laughs) what their own product is, is going to actually look like once it is their own brand. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm so curious about it. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see, and then I'd like to see that place really take off as a, you know, there's so much, it's, it's beautiful what they've done with it, but uh, you're talking very diplomatically right now. I feel like. No, no, no. Okay. I, I mean, in, no. I mean, in terms of a destination, not not so much the whiskey. It's okay. uh, I. You know, they've talked about uh, build. There's a building across the street from the main distillery. They've talked about turning that into a hotel. Yeah. Uh, you know, building out more of the just the offerings there. I just think it's a cool site. Yeah. Uh, I remember. You know, as it is. Well, when I was in my twenties, uh, I would, in that, you know, I'd go visit my brother who was still in Nashville. And we'd drive up for a day to visit distilleries. And, you know, there were a couple of times when we drove past the old, you know, what, you know, what was the old, old Taylor distillery. Yeah. And we never jumped the fence. We never went in, but we were always really curious, uh, you know, and that sort of, that sort of it was this beautiful ruin of a place and thinking, God, you know what, it'd be so cool if someone did something with that. But uh, at the time, you know, this was mid 2000s. It wasn't sure. It wasn't apparent that there was going to be this boom where right. someone would come along with a bunch of money and say, we're going to turn that into a distillery. Uh, so, you know, it was more this kind of pie in the sky. I don't know. Maybe it'll be a theme park. Maybe it'll be a private house. I don't know, but it'd be cool to see. And now that they've done it, it's a kind of a barometer for me of where sure. whiskey is going. Someone, if we got to the point and we've now been, what, eight years since then, uh, but we got to the point where someone bought that place and turned it into a distillery. That really says something because I just yeah. thought we were so far away from it. And I still think, and and so the more they do with it, the more 
uh, the more I just I look at it and say, see, see, I still have confidence in this industry. Sure. Um, so aside from what they actually make, right? Which is, of course, the really important question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I I think that they've been mildly successful so far with their rye whiskey. Um, yeah, I, I've, right. I've, yeah, that that's kind of I. It's it's nice to hear that from somebody else who is not within my own little you know sounding board because oh, yeah. like it feels like it wasn't made for me. And in mm. turn, I feel like it wasn't necessarily made for a lot of the people who might, you know, not necessarily be as ingrained in the industry mm. as, as we are, but just, it, yeah. it, it just feels, it feels like it is being catered more towards. And I, I, I th- this hasn't, I don't want to touch on, Marianne's departure too much because I think that that's it it's completely irrelevant to what the distillery is doing right now but mm-hmm. um I I do think that you know there was a shift once she left and it became more about well what can we do to appeal to the actual consumer and what can we do to you yeah. know give mm-hmm. give somebody a you know the the tchotchke to just kind of take home and you know feel like they have a unique part of the the distillery or the experience and everything but um i i don't know it, it's it's just a product that i feel it's just kind of like okay like yeah. it should i feel like it should have come out of the gate just wowing us coming from this historic distillery that was you know rebuilt from it, it's I don't, not ruins but you know it was just hoisted up and, well, and I, yeah no yeah. i hear you and look i mean uh, I was pretty wowed by New Rifts juice when they, when they came out. Yeah. Uh, Wilderness Trail hit the ground running. A uh, bunch of them. And, you know, I, I sort of would have put Castle and Key in that category of just, you know, very well-funded, very well-thought-through yeah. distillery projects. And, but you're right. You know, it just, yeah, it, it, I certainly wouldn't put it in their ranks. Now, yeah give them a couple of years this is obviously they're you know they're putting out what they have yeah but i hope i hope it gets to that point in in a couple of years but um i want to circle back to something real quick though because you did you did say that you never hopped the fence at the old taylor distillery yeah that certainly implies that maybe you did that somewhere else (laughs) when you were traveling around and seeking out some abandoned distilleries you no, don't have I, it didn't no, actually happen. I, I got in enough trouble in my own state. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't want to get go to someone else's state and get in trouble there. <laughs> so. You didn't need your picture up in the post office in Kentucky as well. <laughs> no, no, I was. I was very happy to be a guest in Kentucky and kind of wanted to keep it that way. I, I'm. I'm not entirely. The, opposed to that being the, the answer but just part of me was like oh come on he's got to have like a little juice yeah, i wish i wish <laughs> i did have well i'll tell you one story this is not that bad but my brother this was 2006 maybe 2006 2007 somewhere in there my brother and i had um i had started i lived in washington and i uh there's a bar really close to me that had a really fantastic bourbon selection even today they would be considered uh, to have a good bourbon selection. And one thing they had was a bunch of Willets, uh, which at the oh, time, wow. okay. that was my introduction to Willet, was they had a bunch of barrel 
uh, well, uh, family estate selections. Um, looking back on it, some amazing stuff for sale for what felt like a really high price. You know, it's eighteen dollars a pour, but it was rat skeller rye. Uh, you know, for basically nothing. Yeah. And it, so, so I really wanted to go to the Willet Distillery. Uh, now, at the time, you know, they didn't have the. I mean, it was this place. Uh, they weren't making whiskey. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they didn't. They weren't taking guests. Uh, most places weren't doing. They didn't have a guest program. Uh, but uh, but my brother and I, nevertheless, thought, well, what if we just go? Like, they might say hi. Just show up. Yeah. Yeah. Just show up. Uh, so so we uh, we found where it was. And, uh, and we, we went there and, <laughs> you know, we pulled in and, uh, you know, at the time it was, I mean, I, it may have been a paved road, maybe not. I think it was paved, but in my it's, mind, it wasn't. It's so, gravel now. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, oh, so, so yeah, so I'm right. So it was yeah. gravel. So, I, so we pull up and, you know, there's nobody there and and then someone came out, and I don't know who it was. I, <laughs> I didn't know anybody at Willet at the time. Uh, so, you know, I couldn't have identified anybody. And uh, But this woman was dead set on getting us out of there as soon as possible, in, in the gruffest possible way. And, it, you know, without any expletives, she basically cursed us out. <laughs> you get that, you know, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. Get out right. of here. You know, and and we said, well, you know, we we just were hoping we could get a tour, and and uh, she softened a little bit, uh, but it was like, well, no, we don't we don't do that. We're not open to guests. Get out of here, right? Right. Um, and I sort of assumed that either something really sketchy was going on, uh, which probably wasn't, but who knows? Or probably more the case uh, that we were not the first people to do this, and that other people, maybe even that yeah. day had gotten in their heads like oh, i bet we could get some really cheap willet if we just go to the willet distillery <laughs> or whatever and and she was busy doing something or they were busy with their actual jobs right and uh you know just really weren't interested in saying <laughs> now obviously today everything's different at willet uh yeah. but uh but that you know that's maybe the one the one point where i feel like yeah i, I yeah nothing illegal but um, certainly unwelcome. <laughs> what a shift it's been in bourbon since, since then. I know, I know <laughs> it's, uh, it's crazy. I mean, back then, you know, we would just drive up to distilleries and, and if there was a tour going on already, they'd just let you join the tour. There was no charge for tours. Uh, no one charged, uh, every, you know, samples were free. Uh, you know, they, they limited you, you know, if they were sure. terrible, but you know, you just sort of roll in and see what's going on. But the flip <laughs> side was there weren't that many places. So, you know, you just maker's mark four roses. Um, we never went to wild Turkey, but I guess they, this was before their new visitor center, but I guess right. they had something. Um, they did. It was, um, it was across the street from where it is. Oh, now. okay. Yeah. Um, cause the, huh. the last time that, I was there with my mom. She had said that she, she pointed it out and she was like, Oh, you see that little, it, it essentially looks like a little house. Oh, and she was okay. like, that was their, their visitor center back, oh, in, the, right. back right. in the day. Yeah. And then Woodford was the other one uh, that, 
you know, was sort of was, you know, was really out there as right. uh, hey, yeah. you know, we I mean Woodford was the, you know, is sort of the the archetypal new distillery in that regard, right? It was designed as yeah. this is a place where people are gonna come check check out what we're doing. And we want we want to put our best face forward and really be welcoming. So the whole thing is designed yeah. around the visitor experience. Now you go to a place, you know, any new distillery and you know Luxro. Yeah. The whole, you know, and Luxro is beautiful. I love I love that distillery. Yeah. Uh, but the whole thing is built around the visitor experience. And, um, you know, taking you through the whole distilling process and tasting process in a way that's very uh, amenable to to visitors and maybe not to the distillery. I don't know. But someone put a lot of thought into how do people from the outside come in and see this? And that is not what they were doing with those (laughs) distilleries um, 15 years ago. What? kind of shocked you the most as you were doing the research for for the book like what because i i you know you have all these memories and experiences that you had before and not necessarily like it doesn't have to be like an experience thing but like what what really just kind of like like knocked you back a little bit when you were you were going through the the writing process for the book um i you know knocked me back i i don't know you know my i've become a really big fan of barrels in a way that I don't think I was before I worked on the book. I just, they're the, so beautiful, man. They're so beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. Everyone I talk to, whenever they talk, whenever they ask, Hey, you know, so which distilleries should I go to? I always tell them, look, if you can get to Lebanon, go to the ISC Cooperage and take the tour there because you, you know, you can go to another distillery and be another distillery. Essentially, and, yeah. Uh, and it's fine, you know, uh, but if you're going to go to four distilleries, go to three and go to ISC because you will learn so much about barrel making. And so that, that was one where I, I think I learned the most about whiskey, you know, in terms of starting with the book and finishing, probably the most I learned was in that category. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and I mean, Kelvin doesn't do tours, but, but talking to the folks at Kelvin, uh, and, uh, and then, you know, spending a lot of time and I've been to a couple of different ISC facilities and spent a lot of time with Brad Boswell and, uh, just the, the technology that, and, and again, I think for me, a barrel is, you know, in that same way that Jimmy Russell kind of encapsulates this forward looking, backward looking tradition and innovation, uh, thing about American whiskey, about, about bourbon. You know, I think ISC is part of that too. Sure. Because the amount of technology that goes into making those barrels is astounding. I mean, both in terms of the, the uh, organic analysis of the wood and how they treat the wood in order to get certain qualities and what right. yeah. the, their ability to dial in certain aspects and certain flavor profiles into a barrel uh, simply by the way they they age it and you know all using traditional applications. You know this right. is they're not chemically treating the wood or anything. I mean this is all just doing what they've always done, but in this incredibly precise, very informed way. Uh, but then at the same time, these are organic products, mm-hmm. and that there is a certain point uh, where you know. Brad Boswell will tell you, like, look, at the end of the day, this is wood. 
you know, and some wood's going to break, some wood's going to go one way when you think it'll go the other. Uh, and, you know, you can only do so much. And at a certain point, the science stops and the craftsmanship begins. And part of craftsmanship is working with the, you know, not flaws, but the, the uniqueness and perfection, organic <laughs> quality yeah. of the thing. Uh, the other thing that blew my mind that I just didn't know, and and maybe everybody else in whiskey knows this, but um, the so we were walking around the stave yard, and uh, I noticed. I, I think he was trying to get me to notice. So, but there are you go and look at the staves, and there are these mushrooms growing on them, and you know, really, like, there's one there's one with just this thick blanket of mushrooms, and I look, you know, what is that? And he said, oh, we want that. That's actually a part, that's, that's part of every, and it's, it's all about, you know, the, the, so the mushrooms grow on the wood uh, and they release certain chemicals that help in the seasoning process. And so you actually, one of the reasons why they will keep them outside in the rain and in the snow is to promote that, that uh, fungal growth. Oh that my gosh. that is desirable in in a well seasoned stave of wood. I had never heard that. I'd never seen that. Um, but you know, why wouldn't that be something they didn't want? Like, I mean, I understand because it imparts all those flavors, and I mean, it can you know be just very beneficial to the whiskey at hand. But like, you just naturally would be like, yeah, we don't want any fungus growing around the yeah the whiskey well, that we're think making. So. And honestly, it's. Just, you know, it's, it, and to me, it, it was typical of some of the other experiences I had with the book. They were just peeling back layers, you know? So it's not like I didn't appreciate that a lot of work went into making a barrel, you know, of course, but peeling the back those layers and going, oh, there's even more that goes into this than I thought. Um, you know, I spent some time, you know, interviewing a farmer uh, who grows uh, corn and, and wheat. He provides the wheat for Maker's Mark. And, uh, you know, just talking to him about the intense specifications that go into the grain that he grows for distilleries, you know, versus for bakers or, you know, more kind of commodity grain that he grows for other people. You know, he said distillers are very particular. And, you know, you really have to almost run a second operation just for them. And, you know, that's not something that I had, that I had really thought about. It's intuitive. I mean, I'm sure. not surprised, but also to hear the details, that was pretty interesting and pretty eye-opening. Yeah. Um, you know, and I could say the same story about, you know, distilleries I went to, uh, Vendome, you know, Vendome is a magic land. Uh, I think that what those guys do at Vendome is, out of this world and and you know to think that you know i'm i'm young enough to have watched all these factories close around this country and feel like oh we don't we just don't do stuff we don't make yeah. stuff anymore and then you go to a place like vendome and you see oh not only do we make stuff but they're not using computers and machinery i mean they do but most of it's by hand sure you know and what these guys the amount of work, the amount of training that goes into being a master coppersmith, just so you can make a still that, you know, I mean, we'll make great, we'll make the best whiskey in the world. It'll be the best still in the world, but 
Um, you know, I think sometimes people take for granted what goes into making a still. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I hope someday, I mean, Vendome was, was kind enough to welcome me in to do, you know, do a press interview, check out the space. Sure. But, you know, they don't, they're not open to the public. And uh, I hope they are. I hope they do uh, open the public someday because I think that would be really cool for people to see. I, I think this show is a little bit of, you know, where my blind spots are in, in whiskey making, but the, the discussion just simply, and it, it didn't take up, but like a page of, you know, pot stills versus column stills. And it's, it's so funny because right before I, I read that part of the book, I saw just a, a tweet that was like, let, we all just have to admit it. Column stills make better whiskey than pot stills do. And <clears throat> stepping back and kind mm. of looking at it a little bit objectively, I can see where people might feel that because it, as I learned from the book, pot stills have to be cleaned after every use. And that yeah. just, that bloom, that is so much more work than I feel like, you know, <laughs> it, it should take just to make it. And, and not that, you know, it's an easy process, but like, I just, my first thought was some guy going in, like it opens up like, like Luke's house on Tatooine. And he just able to go in with like a toothbrush and he's just scrubbing like something like that, you know? Yeah. But, and I'm sure it's just running, you know, grain alcohol through to, to actually clear it out. But like, I, I can kind of like make a little bit of that, that same conclusion jump by thinking about, you know, Oh Yeah column stills probably do make slightly better whiskey because there are things that are kind of hanging around from previous mashes or batches or, or whatever. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, Lou, Lou Bryson makes this distinction, um, among others, but, uh, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it depends on what you want to make, you know, sure. Oh, uh, of course, of course, you know, column stills are great for barley and there's a reason one, you know, tradition is a big reason, but, you know, one reason why uh, scotch, you know, why single malt scotch is, is made on a, a pot still. Uh, whereas with, uh, you know, with a bourbon mash, column stills make more sense and you can run through yeah. all the reasons. And so it's, um, you know, and obviously you, you can make bourbon on a pot still if you want, but like you said, it's, um you know, it's a lot of work. I mean, you've got a mash. It's also, you know, you're working with a mash instead of uh, a strained, you know, a wart. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's one thing if you've got a wart and you put that into a pot still, yeah, it's just liquid. Yeah. But, you know, you put your, you put your nasty solids and goopy stuff into that still and into a, you know, into a pot still. And you've got, you've got to be really careful not to burn it. And then you still have to yeah. clean it up. So a column still makes more sense, just yeah. uh, like you said, for the efficiency. I I, I want to talk about this one, this, and I think this might wind up being the most talked about passage from your from the book, because I know that you were uh, talking about this with David from Whiskey and My Wedding Ring um, recently too. But it, it's this whole discussion on in the in the early. 20th century how 
and this is a major shift, by the way, away from what we were just talking about. So <laughs> everybody strap in to, oh. you know, just shift gears. Um, but just the, the use of black Americans in such negative ways to promote and advertise whiskey mm -hmm. and, and talking about like things that shocked me while I was reading the book, I think this is the one thing that really kind of caught me the most off guard. And it's not to say that I shouldn't have in some way anticipated it, especially just, you know, based on uh, the, the, the depth of knowledge that you bring to the book, but just knowing about Jim Crow and, and knowing about the way that the black Americans have been treated with, within the, the United States. Mm -hmm. And, and that was, I mean, like, I, it, it took me a couple of read-throughs to just go, that doesn't sound too far off from things that we are seeing today, hmm. right? I mean, it, it, it's, and it's not that, you know, things are as explicit as they were in the early 1900s, but the, the deep-seated, like, racism of it all still feels very like there still feels a like a shift or excuse me not a shift but like a split within whiskey and i know that you know there are things like the black bourbon guild and fresh bourbon but mm -hmm. it, it just doesn't feel as unified right now as i think it could be yeah yeah i think that's a good question i mean you know, the difference I would say is that there's at least some awareness. Uh, and, and sure. You know, oh, yeah, absolutely. Different, not uh, uniform and not always um, well intentioned. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, uh, particularly at the corporate level, uh, you know, there's a, a decent awareness that this is, uh, if nothing else, a market imperative right. uh, that you need to be more inclusive at every level from employment, you know, in all departments, you know, yeah. not just marketing, not just, you know, but actually in the distilling and the tasting and the blending, all of those. Uh, but, you know, also on the part of, uh, you know, consumers that, that you've got to uh, market to a different, you have to find ways to market uh, to people who, you know, look, I mean, I've known, you know, I don't want to say, I mean, this comes dangerously close to saying some of my best friends are black, but, you know, <laughs> it's having, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, up, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have no, such okay. a strong reaction to that, but it is like such a, it, it is hard to not like, yeah. you know, um, just, no, but just I, because of the fact that that phrase exists. Like, yeah, no, I know. I it's no, but what I, what I was going to say is just, you know, having, you know, grown up, uh, maybe I think just growing up in Tennessee, everyone drinks sure. brown liquor. And yeah. so, you know, the idea that black people drink like drink bourbon is not surprising. And what is surprising is that it's not something that's marketed to them uh, until recently. And some some brands have started to try to do better. Um, but one of the things that I found and I didn't mention in the book, but I've talked about in some of my articles is that in the 60s, there actually was a real push uh, 
And uh, there were some brands that were really good uh, at marketing in a very um, non-condescending, uh, inclusive way toward uh, Black consumers. And, and part of that was just born of the optimism of civil rights. You know, this belief that, hey, pretty soon, you know, all these differences are going to be erased and uh, Black consumers and white consumers, it's not going to make a difference. And so, you know, there's a series of ads uh, that Old Taylor ran, which I guess at that time was owned by National. Sure. Uh, but the series of, and it was photos of a, you know, really well-dressed, you know, pretty, you know, I mean, you would assume well-off uh, Black couple, young couple walking around the Old Taylor distillery. I mean, the, you know, what today is Castle and Key, but at the time was Old Taylor. And, you know, they're having a great time just walking around and it's nothing other, you could easily have a white couple in there. And yet it's, at least to my eyes, you know, it's, it's what we would expect. It was what we'd want to see today, right? And, and there was a lot of other examples of that. And it's weird that you today have people saying, I just don't know how to do this. I don't know how to talk. I don't know how to market. I don't know how to engage we as a brand, right? We don't know how to engage with, sure, with anyone sure. other than white people. And it's, it's, that's insane. Um, that's ridiculous. And, uh, you know, and, and, and so I do think, you know, it's not like we've gone backward to some of those ads that I talk about in the book, which, you know, I don't really feature, but they're easy to find online and they're I, horrific. I, yeah. I, you know, I actually just, like, I, I found a little bit of solace in the fact that you didn't include them in the book. Like yeah, it no. just, it, 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 it was, and, you know, like I, I kind of like quickly like looked at the next page. Like, am I going to see some examples of this right now? But like, yeah. you know, they they weren't there. But it, it, I mean, it, it's in doing so feels like an elevation, or you know, a allowing people to, you know, see that these these things are real. And I mean, just giving them a space where they don't necessarily need one. So I mean, it was it was kind of it was kind of nice to to not actually see them. <laughs> yeah, I didn't feel like I needed to do that, and and I didn't want to. Uh, you know, there's a certain tone that I was trying to set with the book, right? And and yeah. part of that is uh, telling an unvarnished story, but not necessarily leaning into the unvarnished parts too much. Um, and one of the nice things about writing a book in the 21st century is that you can kind of assume that people will go find that stuff if they want to. And yeah. as long as you're clear about what it is in the text, uh, someone who wants to can go look for these ads and yep. there are articles to talk about them and they'll see them. Um, I don't feel that if I don't show them to people, they're never going to see them. So, you know, it's a little, uh, I do feel an obligation yeah. to talk about them and, and not to, cause that is a big part of the story uh, of, of whiskey in the early 20th century, but you know, I don't necessarily feel the need to throw it in someone's face in a book like this. No, yeah, you, you're right. It is a, a celebration. It's not a condemnation of, of things. So yeah, I, I, I think that's totally, totally admirable. We'll say <laughs> but, um, I, I just want to kind of wrap things up. And I know that was, not necessarily the most positive note to, to wrap things no, up no, on, but, I, but, look, but at I the mean, same time, 
No, but let me just add, and just to say this, I mean, I think it's positive in the sense that, you know, these are things that you just have to talk about. Absolutely. It it is okay to be uncomfortable. (laughs) It is. And it's, um, you know, not that every problem is the same or that there isn't a unique concern here, but, but also no history is without its dark sides and no, no culture is without its, its, uh, uh, you know, it's, um, uh, less reputable aspects, but the important thing is that we talk about it and that we say, Hey, this thing that happened is not right. And what do we do better? And hopefully we learn from that. And, you know, I think that as imperfect as the whiskey industry is now, uh, there are a lot of people, uh, whether they're individuals, like you mentioned, fresh bourbon, uh, those folks are doing some great stuff or, you know, or some of the folks at some of the more enlightened distilleries. Uh, and in the fact that you have a, a consumer push, uh, whether it's Black Bourbon Society, uh, the KOBBE, um, you know, these are folks who are taking the initiative to tell a story on their own and to tell their version of this thing that they like and uh, that they're fans of. And so, you know, for me, that is a hugely positive thing. And so, you know, yeah, it's uncomfortable to talk about, but that's the only way to move ahead. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and certainly we are moving in the right direction. It, it feels like it at the, at the very least, but I, I meant to ask you this at the top of the interview, but I, I like to start episodes off by asking people, what have you been drinking recently? So I have to just wrap it up with asking you, yeah, what have you been drinking recently? Well, I was just drinking tonight. Um, you know, one of the whiskeys that kind of fell through my, I just didn't get to try last year, uh, was the, uh, the Russell's 13, uh, oh, that came dear. out. and so I, uh, I was email. I think I, I didn't mean this as a, as a plea, but I think I said on Twitter something <laughs> like, oh man, <laughs> oh, it was someone, someone was going on about how great it is. And I think I, I said something like, oh man, well, now I'm never going to get to try it. And some super cool dude uh, DM'd me and said, hey man, I'd be more than happy to send you a sample. There you go. Uh, which is to me, you know, you talk about sort of the, the less comfortable parts of whiskey. Well, this is one of the really comfortable parts. Yeah. And it's that, right? It's Absolutely. that uh, someone's going to see me on Twitter uh, never met face to face and is going to mail me. And he threw some other stuff in too. And uh, that was super cool. That's fantastic. And so, yeah, so yeah. I was drinking that. Uh, it's great. It was everything I had hoped it would be and more. Um, what else? I uh, got a barrel pick a Knob Creek that was really good. Oh. And um, oh, and a barrel pick of a Wilderness Trail Rye that just blew me away fantastic I mean, yeah that was that was great and yeah you know and then and then just little stuff you know stuff in the mail i mean i get samples and i try them and you know <laughs> what about you what what's your uh what's your dream of choice so now now i've got a i shifted at least a little slightly um but i so two things of of note i realized that i had just a 375 of makers sitting around which i i had not even opened and 
I, I, I don't know what it is. I, maybe it's just an exceptionally good bottle. But this has been one of the best experiences I have had with just standard 90 proof Maker's Mark. Maybe wow. ever. I, I mean, it just felt fuller than it has before and felt like it just was, I don't, it felt more inviting and welcoming. And, and I just, you know, two to four ounces in just kind of feel like I want to, and it's just regular Maker's. Like, I just kind of want to hold on to it for, yeah. for a little while. You know what that, I mean? That's but, great. Yeah. But I all I on on the flip side of that, I uh, we uh we received our sample of the uh uh barrel seagrass 16 today. Oh, okay, yeah. Um which I I am blown away by. I yeah, everybody I cannot, is. I cannot get over how just unique of a product this is. Um it the the first sip I felt like I just I felt like I needed to put myself in timeout to kind of assess my feelings and my thoughts and everything. Yeah. Um, but, but it's a phenomenal whiskey. It is a phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Whiskey. Yeah. It really won the year. I think that, yeah. that and the Russell's. Oh, Russell's 13 was, yeah, that was my number two for last year. Yeah. I, I can see, I can see why. <laughs> Well, Clay, thank you so much, man, for sitting down with me for this episode. This, hey, this has just been pleasure. wonderful. My pleasure. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so everybody, be sure to go out and pick up. It's bourbon. The Oh, I'm sorry. I got to scroll all the way back up to the top. <laughs> uh, so unprofessional. The story of Kentucky whiskey. Bourbon, the, the story of Kentucky whiskey. I apologize. Yes. Um, but it, it's so good. I mean, even if you don't pick it up from a local bookstore, uh, it's on Amazon. Uh, I saw it on actually on sale recently on yeah. Amazon. So I don't yeah, know if that's still sale. happening. Um, but just really, really good stuff. I encourage everybody to pick it up, especially if they are trying to just expand their bourbon knowledge or get somebody that they know to learn a little bit more about bourbon. Um, really, really great book. We'll put a link in the uh, description of the episode as well so people can find it. But Clay, also, uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at RisenC, R-I-S-E-N-C. Uh, same thing on Instagram, RisenC. There you go, man. There you well, go. Clay, th thank you again. I really appreciate uh, it. My pleasure, man. All right, Eric. What tips and or bits do you have this week? Oh, honestly... I am in full-blown, and people are going to be like, really, he's talking about Star Wars again? Okay, I'm in full-blown Star Wars right now, okay? You know why? Because I've mentioned on here that, or maybe just Patreon, I don't know, but me and April are going to Disney World Yep. Uh, in April for her birthday. Yes, she was named after the month. Yes, it's a whole thing. Don't worry about it. We've already talked about yeah, it. Yeah, we talked about it. But um, we like to go to Disney World on our own like at least once a year just because we're big disney fans yeah. and it's fun we take the kids to a couple of months later for summer vacation usually but this is our trip and we're actually doing like all four parks all that together awesome. but our um if you've ever been and then recently you know that um 60 days out, you can start making your reservations for things. Wow. Yeah, so you can start getting on there. People just get yeah. on there. You get on the app, start reserving. 
and I haven't had a chance to do it yet. And I finally got my reservation to build my own lightsaber. Oh, dude. Yes. <laughs> so I'm in like full blown Star Wars mode right now. So I will I will update everybody later on when I start building my own lightsaber at Disney. I'm at, I don't even know if I can do it live because I, I've been listening to um, there is a podcast called um, The Princess and the Scoundrel. Okay. And they are Disney, like the girl is a Disney travel agent and she yep. specializes in like Star Wars stuff. Like they, they're going to get to do the Galactic Cruiser and all this stuff, which is crazy. I would love to do that. I don't have the money to do it's that. It's way too expensive <laughs> yes. for what it is. But so they had an episode on building lightsabers because I, I want to be ready. You know, you know, I want to be ready. Yeah. And apparently it's like they treat it because I've never seen when I've been at Galaxy's Edge. I've not seen like big signs. They don't have signs everywhere. This yeah. looks like straight up like out of Star Wars if you've never been. And since lightsabers are kind of like like a, you know, the Empire and all that, like they don't talk about it much. It's like a speakeasy type deal. You make your reservation and you go to uh, I think it's Savos and you have to be like I'm looking to buy some scrap, and they call it scrap. Right. But you're really going in there to build your lightsaber. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm so unnecessarily jealous yes. about this. So I'm in full-blown Star Wars mode right now. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but um, I, I started playing again uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order on PlayStation. Oh, yeah. Um, I've beat um, it. What are the two? There, there's two uh, like retro Star Wars games that are on the Switch. Too. Oh, um, oh gosh, is it the '64 one? Is that one on there? '64 or PlayStation? Can't remember. I can't remember either. But this one is like if the, I had my Switch with me, I could look it up. But the it's latest inside. game that's on PlayStation, they're getting ready to do a, another one. But this is Jedi Fallen Order. It's probably one of the last games that I like 100 percented. Wow. Um, but you follow this young Jedi who survived after Order 66, basically. Yeah. And his name's Cal. And as you go through it, you get you find lightsaber parts, and you can customize your lightsaber to however you want, different moves, everything. It's so fun. I I highly recommend this game if you are a Star Wars fan. And if you've seen the Book of Boba Fett, there is a little droid you see walking around that kind of looks like the head of like Johnny Five. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Cal's droid. I don't know if it's. The same droid that's in the Book of Boba Fett. Right. Or if it's just the same model, it's a BD droid. They call him BD. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I really think there's some stuff that's going to tie in from that video game, too, because it, it's such a big story. It's so fun. I'm going back through it, and I'm having just as much fun. It it gives me anxiety sometimes with stuff you got to do. <laughs> but it, it it's just so fun. And... Um, I've, I've always recommend watching Clone Wars and Rebels if you haven't, and if you watch Book of Boba Fett. Um, and the only other thing I would recommend is I got to redeem myself because if you watch my Instagram live, you saw that I made my wife watch this anime called Prison School. <laughs> it's very, very not kid friendly. It's not straight up really bad stuff. It's just. You got to have a sense of humor and you got to just not take things so seriously. But I wanted to recommend a um, anime called Your Name. 
and it okay. is a, it's a movie, and it's really, it's just a really good story. It's the art's beautiful, and it's something you can watch with your family. Right. It's basically like a time travel slash uh, anime where where this boy and girl they kind of meet each other, but they're in different timelines and they switch places and all this stuff. And the art is just amazing. The story is well written. And it's just something you can throw on there with anybody in your house. Like, there's nothing inappropriate, nothing crazy Dragon Ball Z just fighting the whole time and yelling. So, I just wanted to recommend an anime if people saw on my Instagram that I was talking about prison school, which is not something I would recommend for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, At least one of the um, Star Wars games that are on Switch is... Uh, Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast. Oh. Is that PlayStation? I think so. Yeah. I and I, I think the first one is on there, too. I'm like 98% sure, because I think I've, I have both of them. Um, I always loved the Nintendo 64 one, Shadows of the Empire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing like a, Boba Fett and they're stuff. They're doing a remake of it. Oh, I'll have to definitely get yeah, that. Yeah, I'm really excited for that. Um... I don't have a whole lot this week. I, I mean, my... You've just been binging everything. No, like, it, I kind of have been, but like at the same time, I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't been in the right mindset to like watch something new and really enjoy it. You know what I mean? I think we need to do Patreon episodes <clears throat> on Book of Boba Fett and Peacemaker. Yeah, we're going to. Yeah. I think like a 15-minute episode on each just recapping the whole season and talking about uh, what we think about it. Like, I think we definitely need to do that. Like, yeah. we could just, just something we could knock out during the week just for Patreon or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I I agree. And, I mean, the season finale for Peacemaker came out, and it was unbelievable. Holy cow. It, it was the wildest thing I've seen in a, a very long time. And, I mean, that's on top of this whole season just being <laughs> right. bananas. So, um, I love bananas, like. I do love. I like bananas, but I'm, just, I'm saying. I'm saying. I was trying to say. I, like, I know what you. I know what I you like been, shows but, that are bananas, like yeah. just crazy. Yeah. Like, um, but yeah, we need to. We need to do that for for Patreon, of course. But, um, gosh, I mean, really, not a whole. We tried watching. Okay, here's something. <laughs> we we got through most of it, but we got tired and depressed. Um, <laughs> Spencer. Which is the Princess Diana movie with Kristen Stewart. Okay. Um, it is so sad. Oh, no. <laughs> it is so hard to get through. I mean, like, it just makes me depressed watching mm. it and just anxious, too. And, like, it, you know, we, uh, I mean, we pretty much know, you know, the story of, like, how she fell out yeah, of love yeah, with, yeah. with Charles and everything. But um, I don't know. I Like... I've not Kristen Stewart Stewart is such an enigma to me because like I don't hate her as an actress, but the things that I've seen her in have always been like a little something extra, please. Just give me a little little Does she play Princess? Yes. I, do, I can't see that. Um I don't know. I just can't see that. Like, it's weird. It's very weird. Like I always but, thought when I was younger, like I thought she was Princess I was like this like very like supermodel, yeah, super beautiful thing. And I'm not saying Kristen Stewart isn't a pretty person, but I only see her as like this like flat, like 
you know, kind of even in Twilight, they didn't even like do anything. You know, she was just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm burying myself right now. So I'm just saying, <laughs> I don't, all I'm trying to say is I don't see Kristen Stewart being Princess Di. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, it, I never really got past it being Kristen Stewart yeah. either. Like, I feel like she could have, I don't know. I think the crown on Netflix did a better job of casting Princess Di than they did with this movie. But people love her yeah. in this movie. And I mean, she's nominated for an Academy Award, so I can only say so much. I'm not a film critic. I just, I have a podcast. <laughs> I'm a guy with We have a opinion. bourbon podcast yeah. and we like to talk about other stuff. Yeah. So Anyway. Well, I think that does it for this week, though. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Clay, once again for sitting down with me for that interview. Uh, Eric, where the heck can people follow us and follow up with us and the things that they can do to support the, the show? The things they can do. First off, you can support the show at Patreon slash My Bourbon Podcast um, for as little as a dollar a month. At $5, you get all the extra content, extra episodes, uncut stuff. I mean, we're doing like TV show reviews. It's just everything on there. Like, Definitely check that out. The show ne- show has bills to pay, stuff to do, all that. Support us on Patreon. If you want to send a question or a comment, or if you want to ask for the address where to send some samples or something to review, this is my bourbon shop at gmail.com. You can get some merch at bourbonshop.threadless.com. There's Whiskey Mutant merch at whiskeymutant.myshopify.com. If you want to leave a voicemail, and we'll play it on air and then we'll reply to you and talk about you and whatever you want you know even charlie brown's done this before you can uh leave a voicemail at 859-428-8253 and then on social media we have a facebook group on facebook this is my bourbon podcast facebook group you can ask questions for the patreon episodes there share memes just everybody's just in there hanging out um twitter instagram all that my bourbon pod and then you can follow me at Whiskey Mutant on Instagram. You can follow Perry at pritter1792 on Instagram and Twitter. And then YouTube. This is my bourbon podcast. Perry goes live every Thursday at 8. I join him about once a month. And, you know, we do games on there. Perry does reviews. Or he just hangs out and drinks bourbon with people. Which is fun. Which is always fun. <clears throat> and then if you want to leave a review, just go to Apple Shop... Not Shopify. I always say I'm, Shopify and Spotify are killing me right now. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, if it's bad or good, we'll read it out. And if it's bad, we, it's true. we we'll, will. we'll probably say something about you. Yeah. Um, but we'll also say, all right. Yeah. You it's know. fine. But leave a review. Um, we'll read it out here. And then you can just you tell, can your, just tell your friends about the show. Share it. Share it with your friends. Post them about know. it. We're tell here. Them about us. Bourbon podcast with pop culture stuff at the end yeah. and a little bit of everything in between. Exactly. So next week, though, big review episode. Yes, we got reviews to do. And next week as well, because by popular demand, I've been reminded that people really enjoyed this. We're going to get back to doing some news. News? Yeah. Oh. People haven't, people have been asking have me. Have I to... even got to do news yet? No. <sighs> Not once. It's okay. It, Snack you're... news? No. Bourbon news. Oh. 
I'm you'll be fine. Some, you'll I'm be fine. Don't worry about snack. it. <laughs> I'm going to find something about snacks to put in this thing. Don't, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. All right. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. We will see you next week. But until then, I am Perry. I'm Eric. And this is My Bourbon Podcast.